Welcome to the Voice of Victory podcast. The goal of this podcast is to preserve the life and ministry of our late pastor, Dr. Jim Tedder. For 58 years, Dr. Tedder was the pastor of Victory Baptist Church in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We believe the message you're about to enjoy will be a help and an encouragement to you. Thank you so much for listening. And now, here is Dr. Jim Tedder. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2. We're going to look at this short chapter out of the book of Psalms, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you. As we look at the title of the message this morning is, Will you rage with the heathen or kiss the sun? Will you rage with the heathen or kiss the sun? Father, please give me wisdom. I need your power. I pray that what I say will be what you want said. Get me out of the way and have your way. And it was your will that we're able to have service. So I believe that this is the message you've given. And I pray now that uh, your will will be done. Help me to preach with power and wisdom. And I pray that you'll be in all said and done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I heard a story about two senior citizens that were in love. And, uh, and so the gentleman decided that he would, he would propose. And so he proposed to her. And, and the next morning he woke up and, and he thought, he remembered proposing to her, but he could not remember if she said yes or no. It was just gone. And boy, he was embarrassed about it. And he knew he needed to know what she said, but he couldn't remember it. So he deliberated on it for quite some time. Finally, he realized he just might swallow his pride, give her a call, and tell her the truth. I forgot. Did you say yes or no? So he called her up, and he said, Hey, um, he said, I, I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but he said, I asked you last night to marry me, and I cannot remember if you said yes or no. And she said, Well, I said yes. And he said, Oh, well, thank the Lord. Praise God. He said, uh, he said I, I just had to go ahead and ask because it's very embarrassing for me. She said, well, you shouldn't feel bad. She said, I'm so glad you called because she said, I remembered that somebody proposed to me last night, but I wasn't sure who, <laughs> couldn't remember who it was. So thank you for <laughs> straightening that out for me. <laughs> Amen. So we, we've all been in, in that situation no matter what your age is, that's for sure. Psalms chapter 2, Psalms chapter 2. I usually remember that somebody told me something, but I can't remember who it is. And uh, I, I'll use the same excuse that one preacher said. It's data overload. Amen? You know, your computer can only remember so much. So that's the excuse I'll use, Brother Mike, data overload. Uh, the problem is, Brother Bobby, I realize that my memory bank is getting smaller and smaller. But anyway, we can still say that. Psalms chapter 2, let's look at this chapter, uh, a lot of good stuff in that this morning. And in verses 1 and 2 it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Boy, that's pretty, pretty arrogant, is it not? The heathen are raging today, I'm afraid. We're seeing it all around us. Psalms chapter 2 verse 1 asks that question, why? Why are they raging? It doesn't make any sense to the child of God. Why are the heathen raging? Why is there so much unrest, hate, warring, and destruction? Why are they caught up in these vain imaginations? Look what it says. And the people um, imagine a vain thing. 
Why are they caught up in these things? Uh, vain imaginations are imaginations that are worthless. They're worthless. They're vain. They're not doing anybody any good. And they're untrue. So the heathen are raging, caught up in vain imaginations. And then in verse 2 and 3, you realize that it isn't just... And we see a lot of this raging going on, don't we, in our world today. But this raging that is going on is not just against everybody, and it is... But is it, it is very specific and it's directed toward one, one in, in particular and a group of people. Look at verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? The Lord. Wow. That's pretty arrogant, isn't it? Yeah. To rage against the God of the universe. To imagine vain things against God. But child of God, I'll tell you, it gets a little more personal. It's not just against our Lord. Look what he says. Against the Lord and against what? His anointed. His anointed. You know, I think very specifically that could, could point out preachers. But I believe that has to do with every child of God. Because you've been anointed. You've been anointed by the grace of God. And the Bible warns us right here in Psalms 2 that the heathen are going to rage. And they're going to imagine some vain things. They're going to make some accusations. And they're going to think some things toward you and toward our God just aren't true. doesn't make any sense. Why is this happening? In verses 2 through 3, we see that the rage and the vain imaginations are directed toward God and His people. makes no sense today. Today we look at Psalms 2. And we'll answer the question, why do the heathen rage? And how can we have peace and joy in spite of their rage? What can we learn here today? Well, first of all, we see that we're seeing a lot of rage against God and his people. I mentioned that. Have you noticed in a lot of movies and television shows, the pox shots that they're taking at our Lord? There's a lot of it going on. Boy, it's, to me, it's like a neon sign when I hear it or I see it. And you know who the bud of a lot of jokes are? By the way, let me go ahead and say this before I forget it. If you lost some earbuds, we've got them right up here. Okay, Brother Curtis turned those in. They were out in the parking lot. So if you're looking for those, we have them right up here. But, but we see that in entertainment today. Who is the bud of so many jokes? God's people. You look at movies and who will they make fun of? It's the one who stands for righteousness. It's the one who stands up for what's right. You're seeing it a lot in a lot of, in a lot of our entertainment today. It's out there and, and I pick up on it and I see it. And, and uh, they'll say something, my, me and my family will be watching something and, and uh, they'll take a pox shot at God or, or at Christians. And my kids will be like, Dad, Dad, don't, we don't need a sermon. But Dad, we heard it. We heard it, Dad. We, we know, we know. Don't, we don't need to start. You know, it's, it's coming. I, I, I want to preach. I want to say, did you see that? Can you believe? Yeah, we did. We did, Dad. We heard it. All right. Calm down. You know, not only are we seeing it in our entertainment today, but also in our educational system. We have kids in this room and people in this room, and you attended secular school, and, and you had your faith attacked or, or put down by a teacher. And if you stand up and say, well, God said, oh, my goodness, God said, really? Are you going to do that? Are you going to say that? Yeah, we're seeing that in our educational systems. As faith, as God, as Christians are being put down. We definitely see it in our news media and politicians that are blaming Christians for many of the troubles that this world and this country faces. They are, aren't they? You guys are the undesirables. Do, we, do you realize that? We're the undesirables. 
We're the, we're the super spreaders. We're the, we're the troublemakers. You know, the governor, they, praise the Lord, the ex-governor soon to be. I get, he is ex-governor now, but uh, in Virginia. He got up and said that churches were super spreaders of the virus and they were the big problem. Yeah, he said it. And so you begin to see that there's a lot of antagonism against God and against God's people. It's all around us. We see it going on. There's even laws that are being written that are trying to limit the liberty of God's people. Right now, Christians are facing that up in Canada where they're being limited in their ability to minister and to work because of these outrageous laws, this raging that we see going on. Indeed, in 2022, we're watching the heathen rage. You see it, don't you? It's all around us, and it's a raging that's going on. Their rage and vain imaginations, though, let me tell you, it's all unjustified. There's no reason behind it. There's nothing that you have done to bring it on. There's nothing that our God has done to cause the rage. No, it's unjustified. It makes no sense to me. Where is this rage coming from? Why are they raging? Well, we're going to look at the, we're going to answer that question. But first, let me say that it's unjustified. Why? Because there has never been a more glorious event in history than the birth of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to rage about. It's something to be excited about. That's something to be, to be joyful about. Honestly, whether you're lost or saved, it should be a, a highlight in history. You know, the Bible tells us that one of the names of Christ is Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Can you imagine God coming and living with man? But that's what took place. We celebrated it just a few weeks ago at Christmas time. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You know, whenever you look at history and whenever mankind has produced a God, you look at all the gods of the past, the Greek gods and the heathen gods. Whenever there is a God that is produced by man, what you will find is a God that comes to earth in a rage and in anger and with one purpose to subject man to his whims. Study your history about the little g gods. Men, when they think of God, Brother Curtis, they picture a God who comes and controls and dictates and is full of anger. That's the God that man comes up with. But that's not the God that we have, is it? Emmanuel came and he lived with us and he came in the form of a baby. And he was born as a simple, innocent, beautiful little baby. He came and the God that we serve, the God that came and dwelt with us, was a God that came in love. He was a God that came not to dictate, not to control, but to serve. This is not the God made up of some man's imagination. Men would never imagine a God like this. But that's the God that we have. And that's the reality. Why would anybody rage against a God like this? Not only is he an incredible God because of his birth, his glorious birth, but also never has there been a more unselfish life than the life of Jesus Christ. Think about him. He didn't come and, and, and try to take over. No, he came and he served. 
God of the universe, the God that was that built and created everything, came and he served mankind. Can you picture God washing the feet of dirty men? But that's what he did. That's not something to rage about. That's not something to get angry with. We have a God that came, Matthew 23, 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. You know who said that? Jesus Christ, while he walked here on earth. Emmanuel, God with us. While he was with us, he said, The greatest among you will be a ruler. The greatest among you will be a dictator. The greatest... No, he didn't, did he? The greatest among you will be your servant. No wonder he took a towel and cleaned the feet of the disciples. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Never has there been a more sacrificial death than the death of Jesus. Think about it. Emmanuel, God with us. This is God. And what did he do? He came in an unimposing manner as a baby. He came in love and he sacrificed and he served and then he died sacrificially. Look at the way he died. This is nothing to rage about. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why would anyone, why would anyone rage against a God like Jesus? Why would anyone make Jesus the butt of a joke? Make him part of cursing or a four-letter word? That's unjustified, Brother Bobby. It makes no sense to me. But let's go a step further because in Psalms 2, 2 it says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now that hits us. So second thing we see is that there is rage not only against our God but against his people, against you, against me. Never has there been a more loving group of people than Christians. Child of God, if you don't believe that, you ought to go to a third world country. You ought to go to some other country where Christianity is not the predominant religion. And you will not find the compassion you see in the United States. Oh, we can all point out the faults. I understand. But I'll guarantee you when you compare apples with apples, Christian nations are light years ahead of the other nations when it comes to compassion and love for their human man, their fellow man. You know why that is? Because of the God we serve. There's not a group of people in this world. Go ahead. Check out the Islamic countries. Those are countries full of love, aren't they? <sighs> Liberty, Islam, don't go together. They're, they're, they're polar opposites. But when you find Christianity, you know what you find? You find liberty. Well, preacher, that isn't the case in every country. I didn't say Roman Catholicism in liberty. I said Christianity in liberty. Two separate things. Where you find true Christianity, you will find freedom and liberty every time. That's why this nation was born and is the kind of country it is. Matthew 19, 19 says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is what we live by. Matthew 5, 43 and 44, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that which despitefully use you and persecute you. The most compassionate countries on, on this planet are countries in which the predominant group of people or a large group of people are people who profess to be Christians. Why would anybody rage against that? Why would anybody rage against people who believe in teaching and and loving others and showing equality? Christians know that we represent Christ and must give an account to Him. We know that, don't we? I know that if I take advantage of Brother Eric down here, and maybe I can get by with it, but God's going to take it. God's going to take care of it. I know that I can lie to Brother Don down here, and he may not know, but God knows. I know maybe I can steal some money from Brother Joe, but and he may never know about it. I'll blame Brother Cody, and Brother Joe will believe it for sure. <laughs> Good lesson this morning, Brother Cody. Thank you for that. He preached in the main auditorium here. I might get by with it with man, but see, as a Christian, I know I don't get by with it with God. And I must give an account of, him, of myself to him, Brother Bobby. And so Christianity, why would anyone rage against these concepts? Why did the heathen rage against God and his people? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Why do the heathen rage against God and his people? First of all, I want you to see something about those who rage against God and his people. Look at verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? Number one, you know what we know from that verse? The, if you're going to rage against God, you know what group that puts you in? You're a heathen. <laughs> if you're going to rage against God, if you're going to stand against God, I don't care what kind of degree you've got. I don't care what the world considers you and how intelligent or successful. If you're going to rage against God, God says you're a heathen. And if you're going to rage against God's people, God says you're a heathen. No one likes to be known as a heathen. When we think of a heathen, we think of somebody out who doesn't know basic uh, knowledge and, and is uneducated and someone who's just living almost like an animal. Hey, listen, God says the heathen are the ones that rage. To rage against God and his people also, look at verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a what? A vain thing. To rage against God and his people is senseless. It's uncalled for. It's untrue. There's a lot of things that are said about God's people that simply are not true. Oh, you know, those Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites up there at that church. Well, that's not true. And by the way, I don't believe that's true about majority of churches as far as people being hypocrites. But oh boy, that's that's an accusation to be cast against God's people. Oh Oh yeah, they just think they're better than everybody else. That's not true. That is a vain imagination. It's unwarranted. And it shouldn't be. So we find here that to rage against God and his people is, is what the heathen do. And it is, it is senseless. It is a vain imagination. So why do they rage? Why do the heathen rage? Isn't that the question at the beginning? Why do the heathen rage? Well, let's answer the question. Look what it says. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You know why they do? Because their thinking is messed up. Their thinking's messed up. I'm not saying they're mental. I'm not saying they're insane. They're some of the most intelligent people on earth when it comes to intelligence. Some of these that are raging against God. We're not talking about intelligence here, but their thinking 
is messed up. I mentioned Wednesday night about stinking thinking. Yeah. There's a lot of people with a lot of stinking thinking. And their thinking is messed up. And their view, their world view is messed up. And this is the reason for the rage. Why? Because their minds have been, you know the word, blinded. Look what it says, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this world, that's a little g, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Their thinking is messed up. We talked about it yesterday during visitation. Just for a moment, I was looking at, you know, every religion can be put into two groups. Very simple. Those who believe you're saved by grace and those who believe you're saved by works. Every single religion falls into one of those two groups. And it doesn't even make sense to go with this idea that you must work your way to heaven. Because if that's the case, we talked about it Saturday, if that's the case, then what does that mean? That means you better know exactly what God is expecting of you. And a lot of religious leaders will say, well, that's easy. If you're going to work your way to heaven, you better be in church, Brother Lucas, and you better read your Bible, Brother Milton, and you better pray, Brother Tim, and, and, and these are the things you've got to do. Okay, I understand that, but how much do I need to go to church? If I skip out on Wednesday night, does that mean I'm headed to hell? How, how much do I read my Bible? Do I have to read it through every year? Or do I just read it when I get a chance? How much prayer do I need to do? You see, if I'm going to hell because of my works, if they're not good enough, I need to know specifics. I need some definite perimeters. It doesn't make sense. Because you can read the whole Bible through and you'll not find specifics on exactly how much you're supposed to do these things, do you? No. And the Bible even says, for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. So if I don't help somebody when I got the chance, am I headed to hell now? You see, the thinking is crazy. And without Jesus Christ, the thinking just doesn't make sense. We look at the world. I wonder how people vote the way they vote. I'm like, are they crazy? I agree with Rush Limbaugh. Liberalism is a disease. It's insanity. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't grasp it. How on earth can you think that way? But without Jesus Christ, these kind of thought processes begin to work. The devil says, yeah, you're thinking right. You need to save the whales and kill the babies. What? Makes no sense to any rational person, I wouldn't think. But it does make sense to a lot of people. Listen, what we find here is the thinking is screwed up and that's the cause for the rage. And the God of this world who is Satan have blinded the minds of them which believe not. Child of God, until someone knows Christ, it's going to be hard for them to think. I, I, I'll just tell you something. Uh, when Jesus, when God raptures the church out of this world, there'll never be another conservative elected to any major office. You take God's people out and there goes the, the normal thinking. It gets crazy then. Um, Satan tells them that they're, here's the stinking thinking. Satan tells them that their greatest friend is their enemy. That's what's going on, isn't it? A lost man refuses to come to know his greatest friend, Jesus Christ. But instead, the devil says, no, that's your enemy. 
You don't want to go to him. You go to him, it'll ruin your life. You go to him, you'll never have any fun. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, you take a child to the doctor. And, and or, you know, that child, a lot of times they don't want to go to the doctor and they don't want to go to the dentist. Now, why is that? Because in order to help them get better, sometimes that doctor or dentist has to hurt them, right? You have a child that has a, a splinter in their hand. And they don't want, mm, no, you ain't going to touch it. You touch it, that hurts. Yeah, but in order to get better, I'm going to have to hurt you a little bit. I'm going to have to dig in there and get that splinter out. And there's nobody, in kids especially, that want that happening. And so what do they do? They look at the greatest friend they've got as the one that's their enemy. You know what? Before Jesus Christ can help a lost man, he's going to have to hurt him. So what are you talking about, preacher? For all have sinned. That hurts. I don't like that. Don't touch my splinter. That hurts. Leave it alone. It hurts. I don't want you touching it. And Jesus says, listen, I've got to be honest with you. You've got to get that out if you're ever going to get better. Nope, nope. I'm okay with my splinter. And that's what mankind do. It's the reason the thinking's messed up. The reason they rage, because they don't understand what he's trying to tr- do. Truth often hurts before it can help. There is nobody that walks to the, goes into a doctor's office and says, Oh, I hope he tells me I've got cancer. Oh, I hope he tells me that I've, I've, I've got a, a kidney stone or I've got this. But before that doctor can help that person, he's got to be honest. He can say, hey, you're doing great. I don't know where this pain's coming from. Just ignore it. Here's your lollipop. Have a good day. And for a little while, that patient may feel pretty good. Oh, great. Hey, hon, doctor said I'm doing fine. But is he going to get any better? No. That doctor's got to look him in his eyeballs and say, if you don't do something and do something soon, it's going to be expensive. It's going to maybe hurt. But you're going to die if you don't get it taken care of. Then they're like, okay, doc, I'll do whatever. Hey, listen, God comes to us and he says, listen, you got cancer. And he goes to a lost man, that is. He says, you got cancer and you're going to die. That cancer is called sin. And I know this isn't a comfortable subject. And I know you'd rather not admit this, but you're a sinner on your way to hell. And before you can get any help, you're going to have to admit it. Now, the good news about this physician, the great physician, is that the medication to take care of the problem doesn't cost anything. The medication's already been paid for. And praise the Lord, everybody can afford it because Jesus paid the bill. So we find here that truth often hurts before it can help. Romans 3.23, for all is sinned and comes short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. These are not subjects that You know, CNN is hoping we will uh, come and share. These are not subjects that the world is going, tell me more. Let me hear more about how how I'm a sinner. Well, I'd like to hear more about hell. Tell me more, Brother Rich, about hell. These are not subjects they like to hear. Now, here's another reason that the world or the heathen rage. Look at verse 3. Interesting what they say. Let's go to 2. It says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, here it comes. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What are they talking about? You see, ultimately, even a lost man recognizes and deep down understands 
the authority of God. Yep. Mm-hmm. What bands? What, what does it say? It says, let us, let us break their bands asunder. Cast away their cords. What do you mean bands? What do you mean cords? God doesn't exist, so how can he have any authority over you? But they feel it. Because they know it's there. They know it's there. Why would an atheist who believes there is no God work so hard against a God that doesn't exist? Why would they care what we believe? Why would they be worried if someone's sitting in their classroom who believes in this fairy tale God? Go ahead, help yourself. Why would they even care? Because they know he's real. And they know they've got to break his bands. They've got to break his cords. They know in their heart, even as a lost man anywhere in the world, there is a God consciousness. And a man in rebellion fights against this. He fights it. There's no God going to tell me what to do. There's no God going to rule my life. Why is there hatred of a God who doesn't exist? Why is there hatred for God's people? Brother Rich and I was working on this message and Brother Rich came in and was uh, picking something up and, and he, he shared this. He, he's been recently getting in contact with some guys that he was in the Marine Corps with and he made this statement. He said, Brother Lord, I notice whenever I meet or contact a guy I hadn't seen in years, most of these guys knew him before he was saved, but he said, whenever I contact them, one of two things happen. He said, first of all, I always share with them that I'm a Christian now and I'm going to church. He said, one of two things will happen after I share that. One, Number one, they'll go, oh, great, that's wonderful. They're probably a child of God. Or number two, they'll go, oh. And he said, I never hear from them again. Why is that? Why does our Christianity make people feel uncomfortable? Why does our, our belief in God and the fact that we choose to live by the rules and the commandments that he dictates in the word, why does that make the rest of the world feel uncomfortable? Because deep down they know they should be too. When you say the Bible says for all have sinned, they bristle because they know it's true. And they don't want to admit it. And so you begin to see where the rage is coming from. Where the rage is, is happening and why it happens. You know, child of God, we shine even when we say nothing at all. We shine. You don't have to get up and preach a message at work. You just live like a Christian and they know and they see it. And by the way, I do think you need to speak up and talk and share. But I'm saying we are a light. Here's the thing. When you live for this God, that we, our God, when we live for him, we are a light shining in the eyes of a man who likes darkness. And you're not saying anything at all. You're just being who you are. But it's a light. And so they don't want you around and they want to block you out and you're not invited to the party and you come into the break room and they all go to the other side. Why is that? I'm not trying to be Mr. Super Christian preacher. I'm just trying to live for the Lord. You know, they feel it. They see it. They know it. It's in them. They know they need that light, but they don't want it. And that's where the rage comes from. They don't want God. They don't want a God that tells them no. Isn't that the two-letter word that every child hates to hear? No. Oh, nobody likes that word. You say, this is my life. You hear this today. Don't fence me in. 
No one can stop you from doing what you want to do. Don't let anyone tell you no. This is the philosophy of a world today. Always has been. And because of these feelings and this philosophy, it causes the heathen to rage against a God that they know comes and says, Thou shalt not. Now, turn with me if you would to John. Let's save our place in Psalms 2. But turn with me to John chapter 3. And you know the verse, but I want you to turn there because we're going to look at some other verses you might not be as familiar with. John 3.16. Please turn there. Like I said, you know the verse, but I want you to see some verses that you may not know as well. John chapter 3 and verse 16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me ask you something. Why wouldn't everybody want to come to that verse? Is there anything in that verse that causes anybody not to want to come to that verse? We see people holding up that reference at ball games and and people put it on jewelry and different things. Who, in their right mind, dad would not want to go to that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why is it that everybody would not be attracted to that? Well, let's be honest. It's not that verse that gives people a real problem. It's verse 17 through 20. Look with me. This is in the same chapter after 16. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's why. Because men in a fallen state hate the light. And child of God, if you got saved later in life, think about it. There was a time in your life where you were worried about coming to Christ because what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not going to be able to do some of these things that I've always been doing? I like the darkness. I'm used to the darkness. And that's the reason that the heathen rage. Because they know. And because of what God's made clear. And if you look back at verse 3, Psalms 2, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let me ask you something Do I have any power over what goes on in Shelbyville or Tennessee? Do I have any authority where I can tell people you can't do that? No. But yet people act like preachers do. I wish they'd shut up, Brother Bobby. I wish they, I can't believe any of these churches. What's going on? Where does this, where's this problem come from? In their heart, they know that we serve the God who does have the authority. That's why the rage. That's the reason for the rage. So what are we going to do, child of God? Let's go back to Psalms chapter 2. Now that we know what's going on, the heathen raging, the vain imaginations, don't be shocked by some of the accusations that the lost world and false religion will cast toward Christianity because it's vain imaginations. It's part of the the messed up thinking that the devil has infiltrated in the hearts and minds of the lost. Verse 
But what are we going to do? Look at verse 10. It says, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Hey, let's be wise. And, And I thank God for some wise kings and wise judges. Our country has had some wise kings. Mm -hmm. Our forefathers, for all that they want to say about them, are the greatest leaders on this planet. Mm -hmm. They had some wisdom. The reason we are able to have the great nation we have today is because God gave those men amazing wisdom. Those men looked to him for guidance. They had no blueprint. They had nothing to go by. They said, oh, well, they used the ancient Roman. No, no, there was nothing to go by, child of God, very little. And they produced the greatest nation on earth because God told them what to do and how to do it. And I thank God that there were some kings who have, were wise. Be wise now, therefore, verse 10, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. By the way, we can look at the kings of Israel who were wise and how God blessed Israel when the kings were wise and followed God's will. Judges and kings of earth would be wise to realize their authority comes from God. Mm-hmm. Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. You know, We should be wise. Look at verse 11. Let's go and look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Child of God, where are we going to be while the heathen rage? Well, you can rage with them if you want. Or you can kiss the sun. We'll talk about it in a moment. But in verse 10 and 11, be wise and serve the Lord. The heathen may rage, but let me tell you something. God's going to get the last laugh. He's going to get the last laugh, child of God. Hey, listen, young people, you feel like you're not on the winning side. You feel like you're in the minority. Yeah, you are in the minority, but you're on the winning side. God's going to get the last laugh. Let's go back. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Look at verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall what? Laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. God's going to get the last laugh. I, I use this illustration because I saw it with my own eyes and heard it. I remember back when we were in the middle of the pandemic and it was really raging hard and, and it was all you heard in the news. And, and, uh, and I remember Governor Cuomo of New York standing up, and I couldn't believe it when I heard him say it, Brother Bobby, but the numbers had gone down a little bit in New York. And Cuomo gets up, and I heard him say it myself, and he made this statement twice on national televisions, two different times. But he said this about the numbers that he, they said were going down a little bit at the time in New York. He made this statement. He said, faith didn't do that. God didn't do that. Hard work did that. We did that. I couldn't believe it. He said it on Easter Sunday. Yeah. And I thought, the heathen are raging. Brother Rich, that's just rage. Why did he have to say that? Why couldn't he just talk about numbers? No, he had to take a direct shot at God and say, you didn't do any of this. We did this. 
You know, that, that bothered me. Boy, that bothered me. I looked it up because later I thought, surely he didn't say that, Brother Eric, but he did. He said it twice, national television, two different times. But I'm going to tell you something about verse 4. It works. He that sitteth in the heavens shall what? Laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. Do what you want to, but look at where he's at now. Who's laughing now? I'm going to tell you something. God's in control, child of God. Let's move on here. Verse 4, the Lord shall have them in derision. What does that mean? You know what the word derision means? It means to speak unintelligibly, to stammer. To speak unintelligibly or to stammer. <laughs> does, it, does anybody come to mind? And for, for respect, I'll not mention, you think of whoever you want to think of right there. But people who are world leaders that get up and they can't even make sense in what they're saying. God says he will have them in derision. Do you know what we see right now among our leaders? Derision, brother. It's everywhere. They can't even get bread on the shelves. They were worried about having enough toys for you to buy for your kids at Christmas. Oh, we're going to kill COVID. You remember that? We're going to stop it. We're going to... And it... You know, the numbers have gone up. Whatever the numbers mean. But I'll tell you something. God is in control. And you let the heathen rage all they want, child of God. You're on the winning side. Let the heathen rage. Let them go on. We can't stop that. You're not doing anything to cause that. The fact of the matter is the heathen are going to rage because they don't like the authority that they know God has. And Jesus has made it clear, God's made it clear that he will laugh. Now I want you to see something in these verses. Look at verse 6 as we finish up today through 9. Ye... Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What we're going to see in the next several verses is a beautiful, the beautiful relationship between God the Father and God the Son. The one speaking in this verse here is God himself. And the king he's referring to is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. And it doesn't matter what world leaders want to do or say and meet and, and cancel and all these things. We serve the King of Kings. I want you to see this relationship as we finish. Look what it says. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance." and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God the Father, looking at God the Son. God the Son who came as a lamb, and mankind abused him and used him. But yet God the Father says, hey, I'm going to give you everything. You're the king of kings. Jesus Christ, the King of kings. And God the Father looks at God the Son and He says, I'm going to give you the heathen. I, I know they're raging, but you're in control. I know they're raging, but we're going to have the last laugh is what He says. So where does that leave you and I? Well, it leaves us with two choices. 
Which brings us to the title of the message. Will you rage with a heathen or will you kiss the sun? In verses 1 through 3, and I've already read them multiple times, I won't do it again. But in the first three verses, we read about the heathen raging. Go ahead, child of God. If you want to rage with them, the Lord will let you. If you want to join their ranks, many so-called believers have. And they're raging with the heathen. Why? Because that's the end thing. That's the woke crowd. That's what everybody's doing on social media. That's where it's at. That's what's going on. If you want to be in, then that's where you need to be. Go ahead and rage with the heathen. But there's another choice. And I hope that you'll make the second choice. And it's found in the last three verses of this chapter. The first three verses we see the heathen raging. The last three verses was where I beg of you that you'll be. Look at verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Look at verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. Look at the last part. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. What group are you going to be in, child of God? We know better. We know the truth. The heathen are going to rage. They don't know any better. It's our job to go to them instead of getting so mad at them, try to share the gospel with them. But I'll tell you something, the heathen will always, there'll always be heathen and there will always be raging. What group are you going to be in? Will you kiss the sun, the son of God? Will you be part of the blessed group that put their trust in him? Someday we'll stand before that great God. He and His Son, they're both God, God the Father, God the Son. We saw a little glimpse of a conversation they had. A conversation they had, probably I would imagine that took place, in my imagination, that took place probably after Calvary. And God looked at His Son He said, You're the King and I'll give you the heathen and we'll win this thing. And we'll, this, That battle was won, by the way, 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Which group will you be in? We know the truth. What are we going to do with it? Well, preacher, I just, you know, it just, it's not in. It's not, it's not where everybody's at. It's not popular. It never will be. Well, I just sort of like, I just don't like sticking out. Then you'll never do anything much for God. Well, I just, I'd rather fit in. Then you'll fit in with them, but you'll be ashamed someday when you stand before God. Which choice? Will you kiss the sun or will you rage with the heathen? 